Earlier this week, an ABC Four Corners special provided a detailed investigation into the alarming rates of First Nations women missing and murdered in Australia. It coincides with the release of a national plan to end violence against women and children. It was welcomed by the Australian Human Rights Commission, who also called for all Australian governments to commit resources to ensuring the plan succeeds. But it also welcomed the plan's proposal for First Nations women to lead the development of a standalone plan to address violence against Indigenous women and children. June Oscar A.O. is a Bunaba woman from the remote town of Fitzroy Crossing in Western Australia's Kimberley region. She is a strong advocate for Indigenous Australian languages, social justice, women's issues, and has worked tirelessly to reduce fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, or FASD. She was appointed Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Justice Commissioner in 2017. So she's brought her lifelong commitment to protecting the health and rights of First Nations people, particularly women and children, to her role. June Oscar, welcome back to Speaking Out. Thank you, Larissa. Now, you've been Social Justice Commissioner now for five years. When you look back on that time, what have been some of your greatest achievements or the things that you're most proud of? Well, I think, firstly, that um, it's been a huge historic um, event for us as First Nations women to have the first Aboriginal woman in the role in 25 years. And for me, I felt it was important to elevate the, the issues of priority for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women and girls through the landmark We Yani Udangani report, Women's Voices report, first ever uh, national consultation of its kind since 1986 on the issues that matter for our women. And from that very significant report, which, as you say, was a real hallmark of your commitment to this space and the amount of work you did before you even became became the Social Justice Commissioner. What were some of the key things that came out of that report and that you're hoping it will achieve? Well, I think the key um, message that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women across the country um, shared uh, was their right to self-determination, their right to agency on the issues that matter for them. And so the report provides a much-needed First Nations gender lens across all areas of life for women, from rural city communities to regional towns to remote communities and very remote communities. And so women collectively brought their voices to the fore around how they want to be involved in these issues that can bring about positive change that they are co-designing around policy, programs, government investments, and the participation of other supporters in these areas of needs. But clearly, women have said, we hold the solutions. We want to drive the change that we so desperately need to see. And the report clearly highlights uh, the need for large-scale structural change. And so it was really exciting to hear that women had all of these wonderful achievements that they've experienced over the years, but they also are committed absolutely to the reforms that, that's needed in their communities. And they know best what these solutions are. 
I thought actually that was one of the very powerful things about the report is I think when you're like me and you've grown up in the community, you have seen through your whole life the role that women have played in our community organisations in doing all that unpaid behind the scenes work of getting kids to school or coming up with the breakfast programs. And I thought it was a very important thing to actually, as you say, acknowledge the success that Aboriginal women have already had and Torres Strait Islander women have already had in the work that's being done to keep communities together. And I I couldn't remember seeing a report that had done such a good job of acknowledging that legacy. Yes, um, you know, we when we approach the engagements with women and girls across the country, we came without a set agenda on only interested in certain topics. It was up to women and girls to share what it was that they felt we needed to hear. So that was all what we discussed with them and included in in stage one of the engagements and um, the drafting of the report. It's absolutely in their voice. It's around the issues that matter for them. And we're very proud of that work. And sadly, some of the issues are issues that women raised way back in 1986. But there's been a lot of achievements, as we both know, that Indigenous women have made across this country in so many sectors. And again, um, with this report, we highlight those achievements, but we also highlight the ongoing challenges that women have. But more importantly, the solutions that um, Indigenous women have around these issues. So once the report engagements were finalised and the um, report was um, presented to Federal Parliament in uh, December 2020, uh, I had spent the second stage of the project socialising the report with communities, with organisations, with governments throughout the country and translating its aspirations into um, actions and initiatives to create meaningful change. So we created a national network for action and the development of a supporter toolkit for community, for private and public sector stakeholders, uh, looking to embed the report into their work. Uh, We've been working with governments and communities and organisations on local implementation of the report and we've held so um, many roundtables with community leaders and experts to inform the development of the Women's Voices um, We Yani Udangani implementation framework which draws on the substantial evidence base and actions put forward in the report and provides the conceptual underpinning for the systems change work that's ahead. So um, we're now in stage three of the project um, where we're working on um, an online First Nations Women's Policy Forum, which we held early this month, um, or last month actually, 12th of September, to inform the national plan to end violence against women and children and the development of a standalone First Nations plan. We're planning now for Australia's first ever First Nations Women and Girls National Summit in May next year, from the 9th to the 11th, um, which is a, a hybrid event 
in which First Nations women and girls uh, participants, in, you know, including around 200 in-person um, delegates from remote, rural and urban communities from across the country, and their participation into the whole conversations around decision-making in determining the strategic direction of work ahead and how it is uh, structured, how it is supported and um, how it's governed into the future. Um, you know, there's some exciting work ahead. We've developed a framework for action on First Nations gender justice and equality, which presents a powerful shared agenda for women and girls to use both when working with stakeholders and governments to progress the change and in order to bring attention to these critical areas and to encourage investment in community-led gender responses. So stage three will culminate in the development of a First Nations Gender Justice Institute as well. And we have been having conversations with the Australian National University, the ANU, which will carry the legacy of women's voices into the future. So, you know, it's exciting times ahead and we're absolutely committed to keeping First Nations women and girls issues and presence on the political horizon for uh, input into all uh, issues around policy, legislation and decision-making uh, on the issues that impact their lives. I was going to ask you about the National Plan to End Violence Against Women and Children, and which you, which you and other commissioners have supported. And it's very clear listening to you talk that the work that you've been doing in this space um, has been incredibly important in terms of articulating what the issues are for First Nations women and, as you've said, what the solutions are and then in putting a pathway forward. So I assume that the national plan, as it's been announced, and it did say that it would have, um, it would ensure inclusivity of First Nations women's voices. I assume that national plan will incorporate and honour the work that you've been doing in this space. Uh, well, look, I uh, hope so. And uh, from all of my involvement to date, I've been able to have the opportunity to stress and, you know, reaffirm the uh, report and the voices of over 2,000 plus women and girls across our country on this issue of, or this crisis of family violence and ending violence in our communities. And so there's also been a clear call from Indigenous women and girls around the need for a standalone plan to reflect on the issues and the solutions of violence and the need for protection in our communities for our women and girls, our families our, and our elders. So I really believe that it is time that Indigenous women are included in our autonomous and independent way with a commitment to a dedicated plan that speaks to the uniqueness of our experiences of um, the need for safety and protection. And so 
we don't want to be an add-on to a mainstream process. And I think that message had been heard loud and clear. And we will continue to um, uh, assert that, that we require a dedicated, standalone national plan to commit to um, the issues as we experience them around the need for safety and protection and the solutions that we believe that needs to be responded to with the full commitment of resourcing and investment. And it could be financial investment. It could be the investment of people with the appropriate expertise to be responding and supporting women and and children who are needing to be safe and and to be protected. And, Larissa, we know that family violence is is at a crisis. Our our women are 32 times more likely to be hospitalised because of violence than non-Indigenous women. We know that there's the ongoing legacy of racism, of sexism and violence, the cycles of poverty and trauma that makes women and girls vulnerable are still in place and it's growing and we need multi-pronged strategies that are informed by expertise of the women in the community, including their lived experiences as survivors to turn this situation around. Um, You know, this is a crisis, but we need to move on from crisis responses and women need to have responses that are available to them. They need the reforms that responds to women's needs and allow them to have different outcomes that don't continue to place them in situations of such extreme vulnerability, which is what we're seeing now. One of the things that's always struck me about one of the strengths you've brought to the position as of um, social justice commissioner is all of the work that you've done on the ground at the community level has, I think, visibly been clear in the way that you have approached policy at the national level. It's very clear how you're seeing what you're advocating for at the national level will impact on the ground. But as you just mentioned, you you are really dealing with a space that has been a, a place of crisis and you're trying to move beyond that. I was, was wondering when you look at how long you've been working in this area, do you see positive change? Do you, are you optimistic about what we can achieve in the future, considering this continues to be an intractable, difficult problem? Look, it's unfortunate, very unfortunate, that we continue to experience uh, obstacles and barriers along the way, but that doesn't stop us all from uh, demanding the the change and the reforms that we so desperately need to see. And we continue to call this out. We continue to expose the truth of what um, exists in the community, in the lives of so many. And I think, uh, you know, in in these times when we're talking about uh, truth-telling, and um, articulating in detail the issues as we're experiencing them on the ground, 
um, that's the only way we're we're going to um, see change and see the response that we we need. So my message to everyone is is keep speaking your truth, keep putting it out there, because um, we we can't afford to not um, be speaking our truth, and we we will see the response. Um, and we must have hope. We must be optimistic um, and believe that we can bring um, the change um, to take place in the lives of so many of our people. Commissioner, thank you so much for that. There was a lot of inspiration in there about how an individual person can feel more empowered by being a part of this process too. And we'll be watching uh, your work into next year and the, the big events that you've outlined for us. So I hope you might come back and talk a little bit about that as you continue to pave the way in this area. Thank you, Larissa. June Oscar is the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Social Justice Commissioner.